welcome to Quills and Cloaks, a writing and fandom podcast, delving into the world of fandom discussions, author writing tips, and of course, all things Harry Potter. I'm Christy J. Whitney, and I will be your host and your professor. So unroll those parchments because class is in session. Hello, and welcome to Quills and Cloaks, Episode 9. Today we will be doing my favorite book Snape moments from the novel The Prisoner of Azkaban. So let's dive right in. As many of you already know, I am a literature teacher, and I always teach a Harry Potter novel at the beginning of each school year. And my favorite of the ones to read aloud is Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Now, I have many reasons why I really enjoy teaching this book, but one of them is, of course, that there are some fantastic Severus Snape moments that never quite make it into the film or are not expanded upon in the film series. Now, I am going to be reading a section of some of my favorite chapters from the book out loud to you with the novel here in my hand, exactly as I would read it out loud for my students. So do please forgive any miss uh, readings or slips of the tongue as I am just reading this live with no editing exactly as I would read it in front of my class. And we are going to begin with one of my favorite short bits from Prisoner of Azkaban from chapter 14, which is entitled Snape's Grudge. And this is the scene that, while it does take place in the film version as well, is a very condensed and, to me, very lacking scene in the film, where Harry has gone illegally to Hogsmeade, Malfoy has seen him due to the invisibility cloak slipping off of his head, Malfoy has gone back to tell Snape what he saw, and Snape catches Harry and pulls him into his office. So chapter 14, Snape's Grudge. I know that, said Harry, striving to keep his face free of guilt or fear. It sounds like Malfoy's having hallucin... Malfoy is not having hallucinations, snarled Snape, and he bent down a hand on each of Harry's chair so that their faces were a foot apart. If your head was in Hogsmeade, so was the rest of you. I've been up in Gryffindor Tower, said Harry, like you told. Can anyone confirm that? Harry didn't say anything. Snape's mouth curled into a horrible smile. So, he said, straightening up again, everyone from the Minister of Magic downward has been trying to keep the famous Harry Potter safe from Sirius Black. But famous Harry Potter is a law unto himself. Let the ordinary people worry about his safety. Famous Harry Potter goes where he wants to, with no thought for the consequences. Harry stayed silent. Snape was trying to provoke him into telling the truth. He wasn't going to do it. Snape had no proof. Yet. How extraordinary like your father you are, Potter, Snape said suddenly, his eyes glinting. He, too, was exceedingly arrogant. A small amount of talent on the Quidditch field made him think he was a cut above the rest of us, too. Strutting about the place with his friends and admirers, the resemblance between you is uncanny. My dad didn't strut, said Harry before he could stop himself, and neither do I. Your father didn't set much store by rules, either, Snape went on, 
pressing his advantage, his thin face full of malice. Rules were for lesser mortals, not Quidditch Cup winners. His head was so swollen. Shut up! Harry was suddenly on his feet. Rage, such as he had not felt since his last night in Privet Drive, was coursing through him. He didn't care that Snape's face had gone rigid, the black eyes flashing dangerously. What did you say to me, Potter? I told you to shut up about my dad, Harry yelled. I know the truth, all right. He saved your life. Dumbledore told me. You wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for my dad. Snape's sallow skin had gone the color of sour milk. And did the headmaster tell you the circumstances in which your father saved my life? He whispered. Or did he consider the details too unpleasant for precious Potter's delicate ears? Harry bit his lip. He didn't know what had happened, and he didn't want to admit it, but Snape seemed to have guessed the truth. I would hate for you to run away with a false idea of your father, Potter, he said, a terrible grin twisting his face. Have you been imagining some act of glorious heroism? Then let me correct you. Your saintly father and his friends played a highly amusing joke on me that would have resulted in my death if your father hadn't gotten cold feet at the last moment. There was nothing brave about what he did. He was saving his own skin as much as mine. Had their joke succeeded, he would have been expelled from Hogwarts. Snape's uneven, yellowish teeth were bared. Turn out your pockets, Potter, he spat suddenly. Harry didn't move. There was a pounding in his ears. Turn out your pockets or we go straight to the headmaster. Pull them out, Potter. Cold with dread, Harry slowly pulled out the bag of Zonko's tricks and the Marauder's map. Snape picked up the Zonko's bag. Ron gave them to me, said Harry, praying he'd get a chance to tip Ron off before Snape saw him. He, he brought them back from Hogsmeade last time. Indeed, and you've been carrying them around ever since. How very touching. And what is this? Snape had picked up the map. Harry tried with all his might to keep his face impassive. Spare bit of parchment, he said with a shrug. Snape turned it over, his eyes on Harry. Surely you don't need such a very old piece of parchment, he said. Why don't I just throw this away? His hand moved towards the fire. No, Harry said quickly. So, said Snape, his long nostrils quivering, is this another treasured gift from Mr. Weasley, or is it something else? A letter, perhaps, written in invisible ink, or instructions to get into Hogsmeade without passing the Dementors? Harry blinked. Snape's eyes gleamed. Let me see. Let me see he muttered, taking out his wand and smoothing the map out on the desk. Reveal your secret, he said, touching the wand to the parchment. Nothing happened. Harry clenched his hands to stop them from shaking. Show yourself, Snape said, tapping the map sharply. It stayed blank. Harry was taking deep, calming breaths. Professor Severus Snape, master of this school, commands you to yield the information you conceal, Snape said, 
hitting the map with his wand. As though an invisible hand were writing upon it, words appeared on the smooth surface of the map. Mr. Mooney presents his compliments to Professor Snape and begs him to keep his abnormally large nose out of other people's business. Snape froze. Harry stared, dumbstruck at the message, but the map didn't stop there. More writing was appearing beneath the first. Mr. Prongs agrees with Mr. Mooney and would like to add that Professor Snape is an ugly git. It would have been funny if the situation hadn't been so serious. And there was more. Mr. Padfoot would like to register his astonishment that an idiot like that ever became a professor. Harry closed his eyes in horror. When he opened them, the map had had its last word. Mr. Wormtail bids Professor Snape good day and advises him to wash his hair, the slime ball. Harry waited for the blow to fall. So, said Snape softly, we'll see about this. He strode across to the fire, seized a fistful of glittering powder from a jar on the fireplace, and threw it into the flames. Lupin, Snape called into the fire. I want a word. Utterly bewildered, Snape stared at the fire. A large shape had appeared in it, revolving very fast. Seconds later, Professor Lupin was clambering out of the fireplace, brushing ash off his shabby robes. "'You called, Severus,' said Lupin mildly. "'I certainly did,' said Snape, his face contorted with fury as he strode back to his desk. "'I have just asked Potter to empty his pockets. He was carrying this.' Snape pointed at the parchment, on which the words of Mrs. Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs were still shining. An odd, closed expression appeared on Lupin's face. "'Well,' said Snape. Lupin continued to stare at the map. Harry had the impression that Lupin was doing some very quick thinking. "'Well,' said Snape again, "'this parchment is plainly full of dark magic.' This is supposed to be your area of expertise, Lupin. Where do you imagine Potter got such a thing? Lupin looked up, and by the merest half-glance in Harry's direction, warmed him not to interrupt. Full of dark magic, he repeated mildly. Do you really think so, Severus? It looks to me as though this is merely a piece of parchment that insults anybody who reads it. Childish, but surely not dangerous. I imagine Harry got it from a joke shop. Indeed, said Snape. His jaw had gone rigid with anger. You think a joke shop could supply him with such a thing? You don't think it more likely that he got it directly from the manufacturers? Harry didn't understand what Snape was talking about, nor apparently did Lupin. You mean by Mr. Wormtail or one of these people? He said. Harry, do you know any of these men? "'No,' said Harry quickly. "'You see, Severus,' said Lupin, turning back to Snape. "'It looks like a Zonko product to me.' Right on cue, Ron came bursting into the office. He was completely out of breath and stopped just short of Snape's desk, clutching the stitch in his chest and trying to speak. "'I gave Harry that stuff,' he choked. "'Bought it in Zonko's ages ago.' "'Well,' said Lupin, clapping his hands together and looking around cheerfully. That seems to clear that up. Severus, I'll take this back, shall I? 
he folded the map and tucked it inside his robes. Harry, wrong. Come with me. I need a word about my vampire essay. Excuse us, Severus. Harry didn't dare look at Snape as they left his office. And that was a reading from the chapter Snape's Grudge, as I would have read it out loud to my students. Now, I really love this chapter for so many reasons, especially because you get a much longer version of the scene that they did, in fact, do in the film. But I believe in a more comprehensive and deeper manner. For example, in the film series, Snape seems to be sort of caught off guard and doesn't really understand what's going on in this scene. But clearly in the book, that is not the case. He is immediately suspicious of the Marauder's Map. And when the Marauder's Map begins to insult him, including the names of all of these four Marauders, Snape knows. And we know that he knows because when he pulls Lupin in, and again, he pulls Lupin into this conversation, he questions him about where Harry got the map and wonders if perhaps he got the map directly from the manufacturers. It is clear to me here that Snape knows something about the Marauder's map. Now, while he might not have known all the details about the map and how these Marauders created it, he has his suspicions, and you can see in the chapter that he is connecting the dots. Whereas in the film, he is a lot more in the dark about this. The other part of this chapter that I enjoy is this confrontation with Harry and Snape about the truth of what happened between James and Snape when they were in school together. You may remember in book one, The Philosopher's Stone, Harry was asking Dumbledore why Snape seemed to dislike his father so much, and Dumbledore makes mention of the fact that James saved Severus's life when they were at Hogwarts together, and Severus has always felt like he owed James and hates that feeling of owing this person. So he doesn't really go into details. So Harry throws this out at Snape right then and basically says, if it hadn't been for my dad, you wouldn't even be here. Well, Harry is getting well over his head at this moment when he blurts this out. And we get for the first time a little bit of the story of what happened between James and Severus. Now, a little bit later on in Prisoner of Azkaban, Lupin does confirm this story, so we know that it is not just Snape's version of events. And he does say that there was a prank pulled on him in school, and it was a dangerous prank that they found amusing, but would have gotten Snape killed if James hadn't gotten cold feet at the last moment and rushed in to save him. But he adds to that, of course, his version of the events, but... There's no reason to believe part of this is not true and says that James would have been expelled had the prank been successful. As we find out what the prank was a little bit later, I think all of us can definitely agree that yes, a student performing that type of dangerous prank certainly is deserving of expulsion from the school or at the very least suspension. We do find out again a little bit later in Prisoner of Azkaban, and I will probably read this section as well, that once they all got together in Dumbledore's office after the prank, rather than getting in any sort of trouble in any way, the marauders were let off scot-free and Severus was forbidden from ever talking about what happened or the fact that Lupin was a werewolf. 
and we wonder why he has such bitterness towards the marauders, but more on that later. The next section I'm going to read comes from Chapter 18, Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs, and this is the famous scene inside the Shrieking Shack where Harry, Ron, and Hermione are finally getting to answers to the questions they've had for the entire book. What is going on with Lupin? What is happening with Sirius Black? And in this moment, which is the last two or three pages of the chapter, Lupin is explaining who he is, that he's a werewolf, what his background was, and what his connection is to the rest of the Marauders. And I do believe this is very telling, and these are bits of the conversation that I wish had been able to make it fully into the film. So chapter 18. This is Hermione speaking. That was still really dangerous, running around in the dark with a werewolf. What if you'd given the others the slip and bitten someone? A thought that still haunts me, said Lupin heavily, and there were near misses, many of them. We laughed about them afterwards. We were young, thoughtless, carried away with our own cleverness. I sometimes felt guilty about betraying Dumbledore's trust, of course. He had admitted me to Hogwarts when no other headmaster would have done so, and he had no idea I was breaking the rules that he had set down for my own and others' safety. He never knew that I had led three fellow students into becoming anime guy illegally. But I always managed to forget my guilty feelings every time we sat down to plan our next month adventure. And I haven't changed. Lupin's face hardened, and there was self-disgust in his voice. All this year I have been battling with myself, wondering whether I should tell Dumbledore that Sirius was an animagus. But I didn't do it. Why? Because I was too cowardly. It would have meant admitting that I'd betrayed his trust while I was at school, admitting that I'd led others along with me. And Dumbledore's trust has meant everything to me. He let me into Hogwarts as a boy. He gave me a job when I had been shunned all my adult life, unable to find paid work because of what I am. And so I convinced myself that Sirius was getting into the school using dark arts he learned from Voldemort, that being an animagus had nothing to do with it. So, in a way... "'Snape's been right about me all along.' "'Snape?' said Black harshly, "'taking his eyes off Scabbers for the first time in minutes "'and looking at Lupin. "'What's Snape got to do with it?' "'He's here, Sirius,' said Lupin heavily. "'He's teaching here as well.' "'He looked up at Harry, Ron, and Hermione. "'Professor Snape was at school with us. "'He fought very hard against my appointment "'to the Defense Against the Dark Arts job.' He has been telling Dumbledore all year that I am not to be trusted. He has his reasons. You see, Sirius here played a trick on him which nearly killed him. A trick which involved me. Black made a derisive noise. It served him right, he sneered, sneaking around, trying to find out what we were up to, hoping he could get us expelled. Severus was very interested in where I went every month, Lupin told Harry, Ron, and Hermione. We were in the same year, you know, and we, uh, didn't like each other very much. He especially disliked James. Jealous, I think, of James' talent on the Quidditch field. Anyway, James had se- or Snape had seen me crossing the grounds with Madame Pomfrey one evening as she led me to the Whomping Willow to transform. Sirius thought it would be, uh, amusing to tell Snape all he had to do was prod the knot on the tree trunk with a long stick and he'd be able to get in after me. Well, of course, Snape tried it. 
If he had gotten as far as this house, he'd have met a fully grown werewolf. But your father, who'd heard what Sirius had done, went after Snape and pulled him back, at great risk to his life. Snape glimpsed me, though, at the end of the tunnel. He was forbidden by Dumbledore to tell anybody, but from that time on he knew what I was. So that's why Snape doesn't like you, said Harry slowly, because he thought you were in on the joke. That's right, sneered a cold voice from the wall behind Lupin. Severus Snape was pulling off the invisibility cloak. His wand pointed directly at Lupin. Now, what I really like about this moment in the chapter is that we do get confirmation about the joke that was played on Snape. Now, of course, we're going to have two different viewpoints here. Snape believes James saved his life to save his own skin, which does seem indeed quite likely based on everything that we know so far in the books about the Marauders. They were uh, insane rule breakers, constantly uh, shirking the rules. Even Lupin admits right here that he sort of feels guilty now for all the times they went behind Dumbledore's back. Dumbledore had extended great trust to Lupin, allowed him to come to the school, built the Shrieking Shack, gave him a means to transform, and yet Lupin went behind Dumbledore's back and they created the Animagi. They were going out, as it says in the book, into Hogsmeade on the school grounds every full moon, where, of course, any sort of disaster with this werewolf could have happened. Because again, to remind you, if it's been a while since you read the book, the Wolfsbane potion had not been created yet. So the werewolf, Lupin, who was running around Hogsmeade and Hogwarts at the full moon every month, was not a gentle werewolf. He was not taking any type of potion. He was wild. And they were trusting on the fact that Sirius Black as the dog and James Potter as the large stag would be enough to handle the werewolf. And Lupin does admit that he felt guilty, but still he's never told Dumbledore the truth. And he says that he greatly appreciates and respects Dumbledore's trust. So I find this a very telling chapter. A lot of people point out Lupin as being the innocent one of the marauders, but he even himself admits that he was not. And the only thing that is true is the fact that he was not in on the joke. But Snape goes through all of these years thinking that he also was in on the joke to basically get him killed. So you can see where that animosity comes from, and even Lupin admits it. Now, of course, we get Lupin's version of the story and why he thinks Snape is jealous and so on and so forth. But I do love that we get this equal confirmation from Lupin about this terrible prank. And you also see right there how Sirius Black feels about it himself. He seems to have absolutely no remorse for this prank at all, which is why I think that Snape came to tolerate Lupin a lot more. And I think that's one of the reasons Lupin is my favorite of the Marauders, because we do see the guilt from him that, you know, he said, we were young, we were thoughtless, and, and you see that thought process, but you don't see that with Sirius Black ever. He kind of stands by what he did and the choices he made when he was 15, 16 years old. Okay, so those are just two parts of Prisoner of Azkaban that I really enjoy. In my next episode, I want to tackle a couple of more parts. Some of them are from the Shrieking Shack moment that we just read, because while I understand why there was no way you could put all of these things in the film, it just didn't work. 
having read the book, I think you get a, a deeper and a wider viewpoint of the marauders of Snape and a lot of things that were going on even between Snape and Dumbledore and Snape and Lupin uh, that just don't quite make it into the film series. So I will read a few more sections in the next episode. I do want to add one other thing I do love about the end of that chapter that I just read is that Snape walks in with the invisibility cloak. He had put it on and he had been listening to this conversation with Harry's invisibility cloak. Now, in the film version, we don't really get the sense that Snape is aware of Harry's invisibility cloak. Maybe he has suspicions about it, but here, not only does he know about it, he's actually wearing it. Now, while I greatly enjoy Alan Rickman's entrance into the Shrieking Shack, the way he thunders up the stairs and immediately bursts in with the wand... I absolutely love the way that they did that. I do find it highly amusing is because he was wearing, in fact, Harry's own invisibility cloak. And that's all our time for today. If you have favorite parts in the book version of Prisoner of Azkaban, feel free to leave a comment on my YouTube channel. But I've got, as I said, two or three more sections of this book regarding Snape that I would like to read out loud to you guys next time. So again, thank you for joining me as we did a short book read of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Now gather up your parchments and put away your cauldrons because class is dismissed.